precious name that I pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, for that time of worship this morning. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Glad to see all of you here with us today. It's good to see you. And thank you for those of you that are joining us online this morning as well. Uh, if we have not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad uh, that you are here with us today. And if, um, if you uh, w- would like to continue in the time of worship through giving, uh, you can see it there on the screen right now. Uh, but there's uh, several ways that you can give. You can go to homesavenue.com forward slash give. You uh, can use your phone to scan the QR code, or you could text to give. Uh, but if you want to continue to give towards the mission to where we can do uh, continue in more things uh, like we did last night with the Harvest Festival, uh, you can do that. And we will be grateful and God will be glorified through what we do with those things. And, and we can continue to support people like Matt and continue to support uh, people like Rod West with Christ Center Solutions and James and Ashley Wing uh, through um, Wings on Mission with what they're doing at Youth for Christ Puerto Rico. And you're going to hear updates from them in the coming weeks, and uh, it's really cool to see what God is doing through their ministries. If this is your first time with us or first time in a while, uh, we have been going through the book of Acts for quite some time now, and we're going to continue to do so through the month of November until the last week of November when we'll begin our Advent series, A Weary World Rejoices, and that'll carry us through the Christmas season. But right now we're in the middle of our Faith Persecuted series and this mini-series in the book of Acts. We've been breaking them down into these mini-series, and uh, we've already seen some examples through the book study of where we've been uh, of persecution, some things that have taken place to, uh, against Peter and John and against the apostles. And today we're going to see an example of what is going to be uh, a, a, a very sad thing to read, a very, uh, a very uh, just shocking thing to see for the church, the early church. But as Pastor Walter talked about last week, the seven that were chosen, one of those men that were chosen, his name was Stephen. And today, next week, and the week after that, we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at this example of Stephen, looking at Stephen's life in the book of Acts. And I've entitled the message today, Christ-like living. Christ-like living. And we're in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. We'll finish the rest of chapter 6. It's a very short uh, section. And we'll just very quickly look at verse 1 of chapter 7. But in doing this, we're seeing this example of where Stephen is seized. Stephen is doing powerful works for the Lord. He's, he's getting crowds around him. He's doing all of these amazing things for God's glory. And the persecution starts with Stephen. And as we know, uh, following Christ's death and his resurrection from the grave, Stephen is that first martyr of this movement of the church. And we'll look at that specifically with what happens to Stephen in the next several weeks. But today we're going to look at this example uh, of how Christ-like living uh, will bring opposition. It will bring hardship. It will bring difficulty. But the, the incredible thing that the empowering of the Holy Spirit does for a follower of Christ in the midst of those difficult things, when we live this life that is Christ-like, that we live this life that brings God glory, it, it's an incredible thing even in the midst of those difficult days. So if you would, let's stand together as we honor the reading God's Word. Uh, Acts chapter 6 starting in verse 8, Acts 6, verse 8. The words will be on the screen. The word of the Lord says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was given, or as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Silica and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. 
But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard from him some blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. They came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Chapter 7, verse 1. And the high priest said, Are these things so? This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, this is your word, and we, we thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, God, that it has been preserved century after century for us today in 2021 to be your followers, to take this word and hold it with high authority in our lives and follow you, spending time in this word continually, daily, being transformed by the word. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would transform us by your word right now, Lord, as we honor the reading and the proclamation of it. Be with me, Lord, as I speak these words. Go before us now, Lord. I pray that all distractions would be minimized. I pray for Matt as he is going to soon be in the pulpit today at Calvary New City. I pray, God, that you would empower him through the Holy Spirit as they look specifically today at Genesis chapter 3. Lord, I pray, God, as they deal with the sin the issue and the topic of sin, God, that you would use those words. Holy Spirit, move and bring people to yourself, Lord. I pray the same for us here. I pray for anyone within the sound of my voice that maybe does not know you, Lord, as Savior. I pray that maybe today would be the day of salvation for them, those listening online as well. Have your way in us, O God, I pray. In the strong name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this example today of Stephen being seized and brought forth before the people, we see that this Christ-like life of Stephen and his ministry is an example to us here today in 2021 of how we are to be Christ-like, how we are to live a life that honors and glorifies God. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first point is this, Christ-like living is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christ-like living is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 again. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now again, if you recall from last week, Stephen was one of those seven that was chosen to serve. And Luke writes specifically in this verse that he was full of grace and power. Now we saw last week when Pastor Walter preached through the the section before this in verse 5, it says that Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. This man is a man who is sold out, if you will, for God. He is sold out. He wants to do the work that the Lord has called him to. He wants to be faithful. He wants to be obedient. And therefore, he goes forth doing the works that God has called him to do. He walks forward in obedience in his life to do what God has called him to do. Now, just as we've seen from the previous mini-series, I mentioned this at the beginning, but the apostles and the followers, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to do incredible things. The moment in the beginning of Acts when we see after the Great Commission has taken place, God tells them, Jesus stands before them and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You are going to be empowered. So go and wait for it to come. And then we know from Acts 2, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And they are empowered to do great works. And they jump right into the mission. They don't hold back. They do what God has called them to do. And we've seen it as we've been journeying through the book of Acts. We've seen where Peter and John, they go into the beautiful gate. They heal the lame beggar. And what happens? They're arrested. They're persecuted. We have all of these issues that arise because the people don't like what's taking place. The high priest and the council, they're they're, they're not fans of what is taking place. Stephen is just like those guys ready and willing to do what God has called him to do. He's one of those seven that are chosen to serve, that are to be faithful and to walk in obedience to God and to serve in any way, shape, or form that is necessary. Now back in verse 8, after Stephen said that he was full of grace and power, it says that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. The mere fact that he is doing this is going to get him in trouble. The mere fact that he's doing it, the opposition is going to rise up against him. There is going to be the opposition. There are going to be things that are going to happen to him. And here's the thing, Stephen didn't care. He wasn't concerned about the opposition. All he was concerned about was doing what God called him to do. He knew that he had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He knew that he was saved. And he knew that God had called him for a purpose. And that was the only thing that he was concerned with. That's an amazing thing for us to take and to to chew on. This man, Christ-like, wanting to walk in obedience. It's a call for all of us as we read the words and we see what happens through these pages of Acts. I, I hope that it has brought conviction to you. It's brought conviction to me. I hope that it's, it's, it's been God calling you to maybe step out and trust him in doing things that you have never done before, even as long as you may have been a Christian. I pray that the word of God being living and active, that, that God is revealing things to you that maybe you've never seen before. But here he is, and as we've talked about already, Pastor Walter gave a great message the other couple weeks ago on the cost of discipleship. Stephen, much like many of the others, he weighed the cost. He saw what it was going to take. And as we know from Scripture, as we see in the next couple of weeks, it brought him his death. But for Stephen, he didn't care. Stephen didn't care. His primary concern was bringing God glory. His primary concern was getting the gospel out. Is that our heart's desire? Is it our heart's desire to serve God in a way that no matter what the cost may be, we're willing to risk it? That doesn't necessarily mean death. We've, we've talked about this as we've gone through this series. It doesn't necessarily mean death, but it could mean a loss of a job, especially in today's culture. It could mean awkward conversations with people, people saying, I don't want to be your friend anymore because you are now coming out of nowhere talking to me about this Jesus stuff. We asked the question a couple weeks ago, is it worth it? Is our response like Stephen's to say, man, this is worth it? You see, Christ-like living is empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the Holy Spirit indwells you. It's not some magical thing that you can just go and just punch into at a given moment. The Holy Spirit is there. He is present in your life at all times. That's why when we sin, the conviction hits and it's uncomfortable. That's why when we're going about doing our daily life prayerfully on mission and God brings someone in our path that we didn't see coming, that we didn't expect, and we feel that urging of the Holy Spirit to say, speak. Do we speak? The Holy Spirit empowers us. Make no mistake about that. You all, just like me, just like Walter, the Holy Spirit indwells us. So church, we have power. Go and proclaim it. Go and be used by God, and you don't have to do some big old major project. It could just be simply going to the person that you know is lost and just having the conversations. Pastor Walter and I were talking about it this week. We, we know our church family has that knowledge and that desire for people to be saved. That is a heartbeat of our church. We want to see that happen. But for many of us, we we may not know what the next step is. And we're going to equip you over the next several months with things to help you in that regard. But you've heard him say it. You've heard I say it. Please remember, when it comes to the mission and what God has called us to do, you are not responsible for somebody's salvation. You're not but you are responsible to be an obedient follower of Christ that proclaims the good news in any and all avenues that God gives to you. I'll give you just a very, very, very small example of this. Just last night, while we're at the Harvest Festival, I I won't say anybody's name or anything for the sake that many of you may know them and they may feel comfortable if you go and ask them anything about it. But we were, I was standing there with one of our folks that was there volunteering last night, and a, a friend of theirs, a neighbor, came up to the table, and they signed up for uh, the giveaway that we had, and they were just talking, and they were getting candy. And, and I could tell instantly while I was talking to the husband that he was just a very friendly guy, and he was very open and wanting to talk. You could just see the desire there for community and conversation. And, and that's all that happened there. It was just a little bit of conversation, getting to know the person. And then, they, and then they went on to get more candy and go to the other area. And the person that was standing there said, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that person's not saved. But they were there, and they had the opportunity to see our church just serving and loving on people and having some people talk to them. That's a step. That's a step. That's a God-designed, providential moment of just making an impact on that person's life, of just showing love to them. See, there's many times when we go through this walk of life, if we're on mission for God, we may be that one that plants the seed. We may be that one that waters. But here's the thing. As Scripture tells us, God causes the growth. So be obedient, church. Be obedient in planting the seed. Be obedient in watering it. And leave the rest up to God. Christ-like living is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Christ-like living demonstrates wisdom from above. Christ-like living demonstrates wisdom from above. Look at verse 9. 
Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and, and the Alexandrians, and those from Silica, uh, <coughs> Cilicia, excuse me, and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. So we see these people, they're now starting this disputing against Stephen. Stephen being on mission, as we've talked about. They start to dispute him. And this group is comprised basically of Jews who were previously slaves and they gained freedom. And we see there are all those different areas that are, that are listed. And you might say, well, well, Pastor Brian, what is all that about? It's basically from the dispersion that happened with the, Ass- the Assyrians and the Babylonian exiles. So all these people are gathered. They're, they're all over. And they're hearing all these things of Stephen. And they're just starting to dispute him. Because they, they don't necessarily agree with what's being said. Look at verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Read that again. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. You see, we, we see that despite the disputing that is happening with Stephen, they cannot overturn the wisdom from above. They cannot overturn what is being said. Wisdom from God Almighty, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as Stephen is speaking, they cannot go against it. No matter what opposing word would come against it, God was using Stephen in that moment, empowered to speak the truth of the gospel. Stephen faced what would come his way with confidence. Because he knew that God was with them. He knew that he was fulfilling what God had called him to. And he knew because he had been taught. He had been taught by the apostles. He knew the words of Jesus. And it's been quoted several times throughout the series. But I want to read it to you again. Luke 21, 12 through 19. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Look at there, fulfillment. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you may be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Listen to this. But not a hair on your head will perish, but your endurance will gain your lives. Stephen, being obedient, He trusted those words of of 18 and 19. Not a hair on your head will perish, but your endurance will gain your lives. As we continue in this series, especially over the next few weeks, Stephen's going to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel to lost people. Stephen knew that God was with him and he would take whatever came his way. He counted the cost. The Holy Spirit indwelled him, and he was ready to proclaim an unprepared message, just like Jesus said to, at the drop of a hat. You see, Stephen had confidence, because he knew that he was a child of God who was in Christ. He was redeemed. And he wanted nothing more than for those who hated him, 
who despised him, who were disputing against him, who would eventually kill him. He wanted nothing more than proclaim the good news of the gospel to them so that they could prayerfully be saved. What boldness, what confidence and trust in God that despite what was going to come his way, he wanted to make sure those who were against him those who were against God, those who hated him, who rejected him, those who were lost, that they may prayerfully be found. One of the biggest takeaways, church, that I pray that you'll see from this is the reality that God never abandons us. He's always with us. He's always with us. He's promised that he will be. He's given us the Holy Spirit to be with us always. Every time we open the pages of the Word of God, and I pray you're doing that daily, every time we open the pages of the Word of God, we're communing with God. We're hearing Him speak. Because it's as Timothy says, Paul's saying to Timothy in his, in his letter to Timothy, it is God's breathe out word. That's powerful stuff. Because we can read any other book. We can read the greatest novels. We can read all those things and we can see it and we can get the story and we can imagine it in our mind and we feel like we're a character there. But that's where it stops. It's just a book with words on pages, and that's it. It's an inanimate object that has nothing more to, that's good for our lives except for to help get our wheels turning in our head for some brain activity. But the Word of God changes us. It transforms us. It draws us to repentance. It makes us confess sin. Because God speaks to us and we see these things and we say, woe is me, who am I that I can even commune with you right now, knowing who I am? Yet God, you still look at me and you see your son's perfect righteousness cover me because of what you've done for me. Thanks be to God for that. But he is always with us, church. He never abandons us. When we are on mission, we are not on mission alone. Thank you, brother. We are on mission. We are not alone. Well, Brian, I'm out and about in my daily life by myself. Okay, great. You don't physically have a person there with you, but the God of the universe is with you. And he has empowered you and he has equipped you to go out and proclaim the good news. Even if you have a 30 second window, even if you have a minute, even if you only have that brief moment. Remember the hope that lies in you and remember what God can use you for. Proclaim it. Proclaim it. We know and understand the need to share the gospel. We desire to do so. But at times it may seem difficult to do. Don't fear. He is with you. If that can be one of the biggest takeaways I pray that you take today, don't fear. He is with you. Take the step. Jesus also says in Matthew ten nineteen, 
When they deliver you over, it sounds very similar to what I read from Luke. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious of how you are to speak or what you to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Now, the context here of what Jesus is saying is the disciples' persecution as it happens. But I want you to understand that in the context of persecution or without persecution, God is with us. We have no need to be anxious about how we are to speak or what we're to say because the Lord will give it to us. Now, remember this. I don't want to sound contradicting. You can't just go into it cold turkey and just think that you can just go about it and you haven't engaged the Word of God for weeks. You need to continually be in the Word so that you can be transformed by it. There could be things that you have even looked at that morning as you're engaging the Word of God that God is revealing to you, that God is speaking to you. And then just a few moments later, as you're engaging another person, they say something and it's triggered. The Holy Spirit triggers it in your mind, in your heart. Son, daughter, I gave this to you this morning. Use it right now. Again, I know I'm beating this like a dead horse. You're not responsible for the person's salvation. You're responsible for proclaiming the good news and just as we studied last fall as we were going through the Sojourner series, 1 Peter 3, 15, but in your hearts honored Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So earlier, it was talking about not having this big prepared message. Peter here is saying to always be prepared. What is he saying there? It's just like I said a moment ago. Being prepared is being in the word continually. You don't have to have a long, drawn-out speech just to explain the hope that lies in you and give a defense of the gospel. Christ-like living brings us, it demonstrates this wisdom from above. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to proclaim the word as you live a Christ-like lifestyle, as you live through a biblical worldview, as you engage the people that are far from God but close to you. Number three, Christ-like living produces steadfastness. Christ-like living produces steadfastness. Look at 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. We saw in verse 10 that as Stephen is proclaiming the gospel, much of the opposers, those that are there, they, nothing that they could say or do could overtake the words that were being spoken because of what God was doing there in that moment. And so they decide, well, if we can't beat him by disputing against him, let's go get some people to be false witnesses. Let's use them to say things against him. Now, have you noticed something as we've been journeying through this? Now, let me make this comment. What I'm about to say, I am not saying that Stephen is Jesus. He's not on the same level. But we're seeing some similar things happen, have we not? Here we have now Stephen on a trial before the people. Jesus was in a trial before people and false things were being said about him. Here these words are being said of Stephen. These false witnesses, they make up these lies and they state that Stephen was teaching these blasphemous words against Moses and of God. They believed 
that Stephen's argument constituted an attack on Moses because it was implied that there was this abrogation of Moses' law. They thought, too, that Stephen was attacking God because it appeared that Stephen was attempting to undermine temple authority. They see these things, and so they, they come up and they make all these lies against Stephen. Verse 12 says, It stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. The words of the false witnesses, it started to tickle the ears of the others. And they're hearing these things, they're like, wait a second, we need to pay attention to this. Is this something else like what happened earlier with those other guys? We need to get them, we need to bring them before the council. F.F. Bruce, who's an amazing theologian, his commentary on Acts is so rich. He says, the economic life of the city and its residents depended on the temple. The chief priestly party knew that they need to have no fear of popular disapproval this time in prosecuting a leading member of the Nazarene community. On the contrary, the people would support and indeed demand the severest sanctions of the law against this man. Because of how useful the temple was in that day, the economic flow, all the things that were going on, they thought, wait a minute, if we use these false witnesses to say these things, it's going to stir up this so we can get him done with. We can shut him up. He doesn't have to be anything that we have to worry about anymore. So let's do this. So this leads, of course, to Stephen's arrest. And therefore the trial before Sanhedrin. Look at 13 and 14. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Here again, those false witnesses, they're saying these things. They come forward, they accuse Stephen of speaking these words against the law, and they indicated that Stephen taught that Jesus would destroy the temple and change the customs handed down from Moses in his time. They've got it all planned out. And they're doing it, they're acting on it. But here's the irony of what they're doing. They think they're doing this stuff. They think they're doing what's right in honoring the law and doing these things, but they're breaking the law. To quote from the law in Exodus 20, 16, what does it say? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And yet here they are bearing false witness. Now, did Jesus teach something about the temple being destroyed and that he would rebuild it? Yes, Jesus said those things, but he was referring to himself. About his body hung on the tree and the sacrifice of the sins of all mankind, God's wrath poured out on him, where he would give up his spirit, he would die, be buried in a tomb, and on three days later, resurrect from the grave. Listen to 15. And gazing at him, All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The people gaze at Stephen and they see this face was like the face of an angel. Now we see something similar like that happen in other parts of the Bible. One that comes to mind is from Exodus 34, 29 through 31. The word says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that his skin and face shone because he had been talking with God. 
Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Moses had spent time on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, and therefore his skin, his face, it radiated because he had encountered the Lord right there in that moment. So he comes down and we see this example there. And here after all Stephen is accused of, and we've seen the empowerment and the standing on the word of God and the Holy Spirit using him, he's seen to have the face of an angel. And what can we take away from that? Luke's biblical imagery here, it communicates to us the presence and power of God in Stephen through the Holy Spirit. Now, church, does that mean that you and I are going to walk around and we're going to be glowing? Bless you. That we're going to just be glowing. Physically glowing. No, if I start glowing, call the doctor. Like, that's, that's different. Like, that's, that's not something that you're used to seeing. But as I was studying this and I was thinking through this, it really had me thinking Not in an actual, literal, physical, glowing sense. But if we're living a life that is Christ-like, that is on mission, truly devoted to God, and proclaiming the gospel as God gives us the opportunities, and walking in obedience, especially in the culture that is around us today, that is completely opposite of the Bible, you and I are going to stick out like sore thumbs. You and I are going to radiate, if you will. People are going to see us, and they're going to see us, as one of my friends used to say, as scattered lights. In the midst of darkness, those who are in Christ, the light will shine in the darkness. So as we live on mission, if we truly have the desire to see every man, woman, and child in our circles of accountability have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel, then we've got to be those lights that stick out in the darkness. Then we have to be the ones that as we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, as we walk in a manner that brings God glory, that we would radiate in our Christ-like living. To where in moments of doing so, we may have persecution come. And we may say, bring it. Whatever may come. Because it's for the glory of God. That we may, as we heard a couple weeks ago, be like those followers who were even beaten. And then walked away praising God and counted it an amazing thing that they were beaten for the sake of the name. The name above all names. The name of the one who sits on the throne forever and ever and ever. Who will one day defeat sin and death forever when he takes Satan and he throws him into the pit and he locks the key. King Jesus. To set up as a Prelude for Walter for next week. 7-1 says, The high priest said, Are these things so? And we're going to see Stephen's response empowered by the Holy Spirit of God next week. But for today, for today, 
I just want to end by asking the question, are we, as a church, to this community, and are we individually in our lives, members of the church and the community, are we living our lives in a Christ-like way that brings him glory, that brings difficult conversations, that brings persecution? Are we living in a way to where we can profess Christ? That we can show the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in us to speak words of life to those who are dead. As we have that wisdom from above that God graciously gives to us, He doesn't have to. The reason I said the last point was producing steadfastness is because as we are going on in this life, we know we all live it every single day. Difficulties are coming, are they not? Every single one of us faces difficulties every single day. You get in your car, within five minutes, there's a difficult situation. If you have young kids, you wake up in the morning... My in-laws have been living with us the last couple months. They will tell you, some mornings it's very difficult for us with kiddos and stuff. Difficulties come every single day. Those are silly examples. There's even, there's even more difficult, hard things that we all face. But every single day is a gift from God where we have breath in our lungs, church. And we will be producing steadfastness as we continue to press forward to the goal. Are you living a life that is Christ-like? Are you living a life that welcomes whatever may come? Are you counting the cost and saying it's worth it? If you're not, I want to challenge you to ask God to reveal that to you, to ask God to convict you of that, that you would confess it and that you would move forward. If you're not living for Christ because you don't know Christ, I want you to please, even if you don't feel something happening and the Holy Spirit may not even draw you near, I want you, if you would say that you're not a follower of Jesus and you're with us online, I want you to go to homesavenue.com forward slash contact and I want you to ask, what does it mean to follow Jesus? If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask one of us, what does it mean to follow Jesus? If you are a follower of Jesus and you feel like you are just at a stagnant place in your walk, please ask us, what must I do to continue to follow Jesus? Get me out of this rut. And we'll give you tools. We'll help equip you. But ultimately, you have to remember the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. God will lead you. You just got to move the barriers out of your way to faithfully follow him. So we're going to move into a time right now of, of just quiet, reflecting moments of asking God, Lord, what are you saying to me? What have you been saying today? What have you been saying this week? What have you been saying this year? Truly ask him. Ask him to reveal what he wants for you and ask him to help you move forward in that. Because we can't be stagnant. We have to keep pressing forward. Because there's a community, as any of you that may have seen last night, if you stand on that stretch of Montague looking towards Virginia Avenue, folks, there's a massive harvest that's around us, and they were all over the place last night.
The, the, the mission is very much there. The harvest is literally right around us. I pray that you live a life that is Christ-like on mission for him, whatever he wants you to do. But ask him how he wants you to respond today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, you are so good. Lord, I, I, I just, I can't help but right now just feel this overwhelming sense of gratitude and thankfulness to you. Thankfulness, Lord, because despite my sin and shame, despite our sin and shame, for us that are in Christ, Lord, you have redeemed us. You have saved us. We were on a fast track to hell, separated from you, but God, you intervened. There were those throughout our lives where many planted the seeds and watered the seeds, and God, you intervened and you caused the growth. I'm thankful for your word, Lord. I'm thankful just in this section of Scripture where we see the boldness of Stephen empowered by you because he lived a life, Christ, like he lived a life worthy of the gospel. And despite all of the attempts against him, they could not overtake him, so they had to use false witnesses and whatnot to take him before a council. I pray, O oh God, that we empowered by your Holy Spirit, would live lives that bring you glory, that reaches the people that we love and care for so much that are separated from you but are so close to us, that we, empowered by your Holy Spirit, would proclaim Christ to them. That we would trust, Lord, that you will give wisdom from above to us, that you will give us the words to speak when we need to speak them. That we would remember that we are not responsible. All we are called to do is to be faithful, obedient followers who proclaim Christ. And Lord, that we would trust that as we live this life that honors Christ, that is Christ-like, that brings you glory, Lord, that we would be steadfast that we would keep pressing forward to the goal that is before us. That we would do this daily in our lives, studying Your Word, praying to You continually, and proclaiming the good news of the Gospel to those around us who are lost until the day You call us home or You return. Lord, we saw with our own eyes last night the harvest is around us. 
We can see it every day when we walk through the neighborhood, we drive through it, we see all the houses that are around us, Lord. But last night you gave a tangible example right before our eyes of how many people are right around us. How many of those people were walking in darkness? Use us, Lord, to be the light to them. Lord, now as we come before you and we're about to sing this last song, it is well with my soul. Father, I pray. Oh, God, I pray. That the cry of our heart would be, Lord, here am I, send me. That the desire of our heart would be to bring you glory and to be on mission for you and to not sit back and just wait for somebody else to do it. Lord, use us. I beg you, O oh God, use us. You have been so faithful for 75 years here, Lord. I pray, God, that we would be faithful to you and continue to walk in obedience. And, God, that you would use us for decades and decades and decades moving forward. And that soul after soul after soul would be radically transformed by the power of the gospel through your church proclaiming it. Lord, I pray, I beg you, leave us breathless. Leave us in awe of what you're going to do. Use your church, Lord. Father, we honor you, we love you, we adore you in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.